So then, it's episode 13. It's unlucky for some, but lucky for others. And that is the episode we're on. This is FIA Goes PC, episode 13. And as you can tell, I am sat here with the Unicorn Slayer, a.k.a. Pete Taylor. Hello. And the Urban Oracle, a.k.a. Shaq. Say hello. 13th episode, but I'm glad it's not Friday, because that would be creepy as hell. It would be. What if they're listening to it on a Friday? Could be. That'd still be creepy. That's actually a 13th. 13th on a You should listen to the 13th episode on a 13th, that is a Friday, with your hockey mask on. How's that? Uh, as long as you don't go and hurt anybody, I'm happy with whatever you do in your spare time. Okay, enough about silly things involving Friday the 13th. And we're also joined, I have to say this, by our producer, Winifred. Say hello. Hello. And of course, as always, I am your host, Rebel Zen, a.k.a. Danny. Hi, everyone. So, we've got a lot to talk about this time. We're going to start things off with the uh, wrap-up of our trip to Gambleland. Vegas, UK, as I like to call it, which was the uh, Broadway Casino in uh, near where you work, eh? Right opposite where I work. Very good. How was your experience with the casino? You've been there as as a punter, haven't you? Yeah, I've been a few times. My mate used to, uh, well, he always liked uh, a bit of a gamble. Um, and to get me to go, he'd literally say, Pete, here's 20 quid to gamble with. Come with me. Oh, anything, nice. anything you win is yours. How long did that last you? Um, the first time I went, I came around with about 50, 60 quid. Oh, um, cool. This, these are numbers that just don't equate to LA because I think the, the smallest you can go is like a couple of thousand. I'm not really Jesus. sure. You know, it's it's the difference between here and there. But mm. it's actually quite an amazing little casino because I've never stepped foot into a British casino in my life, which is, I think, a good thing, possibly. I don't know. Um... But yeah, like it was set up really well. Um, mm. We were there just before opening time, so we got to see how the floor ran. And it was literally like going back to Nevada, wasn't it? Mm. For us, us worldies. How are the American casinos? What are they like? Big. Bigger, I'm <laughs> Well, Vegas, if you take Vegas, because that's my only experience, there is uh, other areas as well. Where's the one? The other one is Reno. Reno, yeah. Reno, In Nevada that we know. Well. Yeah. And it's one East Coast. That alludes to Atlantic City. Atlantic City, there you go. See, Pete's your he's your connoisseur. Yeah. I just go to these things. But Vegas is basically every casino has a central theme. Okay. So it's kind of I would set Vegas up as like the Disneyland for adults because oh. it's really quite surreal when you land okay. there. Um all the casinos have a centralized theme. Uh, you'll have stuff like there's New York, New York, which is like a miniature version of the skyline, and there's a roller coaster on the top that you can really? actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you'll have the Paris one, where there's a kind of two scale Eiffel Tower. The, yeah, it's a half size replica, isn't it? With um, Gordon Ramsay got a steakhouse. Well, he has now. Yeah, yeah, because he. My mum and her husband went. Gordon Ramsay often puts his stakes in high places. You see, <laughs> raising the stakes. <laughs> he is raising the stakes. There you go. Oh, we're on it. Look at that. So cool. And Shaq's gone. And we've lost Shaq. <laughs> but obviously when you're dealing with Birmingham. Bad dealing. Dealing with. Oh yeah. my God. There's going to be a lot of uh, gambling puns here. Mm. Uh, yeah, the casinos here. Feel free here. to chip in. <laughs> 
Sorry. It's all right. It's all right. The casinos here are um, they're a lot more stripped down, yeah. a lot more basic. Yeah. Um, the the biggest place I think we have with a chain of them is Blackpool. Mm. But here locally, it's it's quite cool to see it. It it almost felt like you've got one of the older style casinos in Vegas, yeah, with a modern you know upgrade. Mm. But it was really cool. It was very big. Um, it kind of. I'll talk in video game terms because then you'll wake up. It's very Dead Rising. Dead, okay. It's yeah. the the floor reminded me of that within yeah. seconds, yeah. and I thought of you obviously. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. um, I know you and lawnmowers and zombies. Yeah. So that's good. We've got a long relationship. We've got a long relationship. Yeah, mm. it's about ten inches. Um, hi. I've been. Winifred wants to speak. You've been in, to Casino. in Birmingham. In Birmingham. Yes. I went with a friend, but um, I went for the food. Was that gala? Yeah. I think it was Rosfner, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they have free food and drinks, so. Oh, that's cool. So that's good. But the, the casino life, especially this one, it was just great. It just felt, you yeah. know, very relaxed. It did feel like you walked through the thing and you're in, on vacation, didn't it? Well, did it? I don't know if you noticed, but um, their opening hours were actually 12 midday until 9am. Yeah. So it's only three hours that it's actually closed. And it's near enough next to a bunch of, like... Um, hotels in that region you've yeah. also got the apartment complex which makes up the other part of the children's hospital yeah. over the top of it so if you live there you could probably be a pro poker player and that's your life in that corner of birmingham eh? my brother played there um the student poker tournament oh nice mm-hmm. got himself a seat there yeah unfortunately didn't get through but fantastic i want to I, I, well yeah i mean <laughs> i'm pretty good at snap <laughs> so I'd be. You all... know, it's more my thing. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Is it? Well, I, well, it's a bit complicated. There's a lot yeah, of numbers. There's <laughs> a lot of rules, and uh, it's hard to spell. You know, it's, it's difficult. Unless you're Spanish. Yeah, exactly. Numero uno. It's a good one. Um, but yeah, no, our experience is slightly different because we had a corner of the uh, the place to ourselves, and we did a nice little skit there. We're not going to ruin that, but we also found a nice backlight for you, didn't we? We did. Which was really fun because it was all glowing. Okay. All glowing unicorn slayer for a bit. Okay, cool. But it was cool, man. The uh, the guy that ran the place, he helped us a lot, Charlie. Uh, yeah, Charlie, the general manager. And uh, also want to say thanks to Sue who organized this for us. Yep, thank you very much to both of you. Charlie was great all day, very accommodating. We were quite freaked out to start, weren't we? Because we were like waiting outside for a while, just looking like we were dead keen to get the uh, <laughs> to get the addiction rolling there. <laughs> Especially as I was standing there in costume. Yeah, in costume. Which is a sight to behold. <laughs> it is. True. And it was fun because I was in costume bar one element of my costume, which sort of, yeah. again, we won't give that away. But we did seem very odd. Yeah. And of course, we threw wind to the front line. Mm, mm. So like we normally do. Like we usually do, throw it to the wolves. <laughs> and uh, if she makes it out, it's safe in there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, we're all holding massive bags in fairly strange attire. It did look like we were casing the place, didn't it? <laughs> a little bit. But like it was when I own Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> Ocean's Three. Yeah. Small, smaller budget and uh, very much not as exciting. Um, but I did manage to case the place out. So if you are interested in... Uh, <laughs> in uh, well. I don't think we should be going around. <laughs> no, I didn't really. I'm only joking. It's, 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 it's all job adjustments. To be fair, but when you say that, you mean you know where the toilet is. I case yeah. the place out, which means I know where I'd put everything if I had a massive suitcase. 
Isn't that what it oh means? Oh my god. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's, what, that's it what it means. Yeah. It's mild case of packing. Oh <laughs> but no, the um the thing is, it's just really good. Like, I think what was impressive to me is just seeing that kind of professional operation mm. in your town. Because I, I don't know why. I, I always envisioned our casinos to be a bit like Victorian era. I don't know why. Well, like everything's steam run. Yeah. You know, like you got your roulette reel, but it's, it's covered You've in steam. you got a guy on the bellows. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And everything's pulled by little hamsters on, on treadmills, you know. But I was... I was way chuffed we're That's quite ahead of the game it good. is really good there's a load of arcade gambling stuff as well like mm. not just there's the, a lot of screens isn't there yeah yeah like sitting yeah like a sitting simulation mm. thing which okay. looked amazing yeah I was like that's one way that you could play Outrun but uh, it was different it wasn't a car game I don't yeah. think they had time crisis in there no they didn't know it's a shame you should be betting on time crisis though, shouldn't you oh yeah definitely I think it's like the international poker blackjack simulators but we were actually sat on a blackjack table. Yeah. Which but behind us, cool. they have the um, the actual roulette wheel. Yeah, right um, next to the yeah. screens attached, so it's not a, a creepy area. And the thing that was cool was I, I think we were given a training mm. table. Yeah. Yeah. Which was which was epic because you know it's it's kind of nice to see the spread. Like this is where you stand, then you go to these different chapters. Mm. I have been to the casinos in Macau, mm. which is. It's kind of more the energy of that, you know, because it's less sort of um, epic. Mm. Macau, everything's kind of scaled down a little bit. Yeah. When we actually went to Macau, we were at the MGM mm. and they were doing renovation work, which literally makes you, reminds you that you're in Asia. Yeah. Because you can't go anywhere without hearing a buzz or a, or a massive drill. Yeah. And uh, it was that kind of a deal. Mm. So that was kind of interesting. That's where it gets real world because usually I think when they do Vegas renovations, they'll shut down a good portion. You'll never see it. Yeah, it's almost sealed off. You don't hear it because they're keeping that fantasy land. Destroys the image, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's just a new area. It's just magic stuff. Yeah, yeah it's done. and and the other thing that's fascinating about Vegas is like they'll when they demolish an old casino, they make it a thing. Mm. So it's like it's like. It's almost like the public executions back in the day, but for the building. So, you know, someone's always crying because they've got the memories there. It's usually like eight-year-olds like, I met my first husband. She's got 90 husbands and she met her first one at the sands and it's now gone. It's now sand. Yeah. But it might still be there, the sands. I don't know. One of them. Mm. It's in Con Air. If you ever watch Con Air, which is a classic movie to you, Jeff. Um, it's just about the time of Technicolor, isn't it? Um, there's actually a real life plane in it. Can you believe that? What? One of the first yeah. ever ones. It's massive, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. And basically, like, one of the casinos has been demolished and they used it as part of the, the, uh, the gimmick in the film. So moving away from casinos, because, again, we can't really say too much about that. I can add one more thing. Oh, you can. Our filming was actually delayed by a week because um, there was a Bollywood film being filmed. Oh, yeah, that's, that's worth mentioning. Yeah, on location at that casino. Yeah. So. Yep. So they had, a, it was a scene from a film in Bollywood, right? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly which film, but it was a Bollywood production that was being filmed inside the casino. Awesome. We're going to have to find out and compare it with ours to see who's doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we'll be in to be fair. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, sort of I don't know. I mean, say what you will. Uh, we did break out into dance halfway through our scene. So, uh, <laughs> Stop ruining it for everyone. Yeah, that's a spoiler. That's true. That is, yeah, sorry, sorry guys. I don't want people to know I can do the splits. <laughs> Banana splits. Yeah, you're very yeah. good at doing them. Um, Three at a time. 
<laughs> and then I have my starter. Yeah. Depends if it's a Friday or a Sunday. Um, any hoot and any. That went a bit nuts. We're just making banana split jokes now. Mm. Um, moving on. Just a quick reminder. So big shout out to Charlie and Sue who set that up for us and were great throughout the day. We weren't there for that long. It was very brief what we had to do, but it was awesome. And what a great experience. And for them to be that generous is amazing. Because I remember the last time we even tried to film in a casino was in Vegas. (laughs) And within two seconds, we had all the security on us. Yeah. It was crazy. (laughs) It was like literally like... I don't know, like we'd got a bioweapon or mm, something. Mm. I mean, we did have Wynn with us, and it is Nevada. <laughs> so they would have seen Wynn at that time as a bit of a threat. So it's on you, to be oh. honest. Sorry about that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I can't wait for the Jamaican uh, casino. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Nobody would actually get any work done. Nope. <laughs> no, exactly. It's just easy. That's what it'll be called. Easy. Be like, what, are you cheating on that? Don't worry about it. <laughs> Oh, uh, take, take the money I spy <laughs> <laughs> it'd be good, you don't need good to times. Now, just have another problem <laughs> exactly but that'll be good fun times. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so let's hope that they'll get there Jamaica's gotta get a Vegas style resort set up it'd be great I'll be all about that moving on so we go from the the ultra extreme of a casino to our next day where we were all together because you weren't with us at the casino. No. no you we were working. Yeah. He couldn't be trusted. <laughs> it's true. That it was true. one time. One time. <laughs> so where did we end up going? We ended up going to Stratford-upon-Avon again. It was a big return. Mm. Uh, it felt like we'd never left, didn't it, Shane? Yeah, yeah. It felt like... So like a caravan park. I'd, I'd slept at my house and I was back there again. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much was. But we went there expecting tropical suns. It was meant to be a good day, mm-hmm. bright skies, mm-hmm. mostly cloudy at certain times. But what we actually got was horrendous rain, uh, vintage autumn of England. So that was fun. The weather um, forecast lied to us. Yeah, as it constantly does, because it changes on the dime. Mm-hmm. And we're now, the, the important thing that you'll see in the, uh, the episode structure is that we're now losing daylight fast. Because yeah. in the UK, if you're listening from around the world, we lose uh, daylight. It goes from, I think in summer, peak of summer, it sort of gets dark around 11 at night. And then it suddenly goes to 7, doesn't it? Yeah. And we're now at that 7 o'clock period. Well, we're lucky we're not hitting the, um, three o'clock. the, the clock change. Yeah, the 3 o'clock margin. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating it's place. But what we had in Stratford is when we started off, we had to kind of start the day off late because there is a specific location. We can't say too much. Very famous. But we needed to film there without people, which is almost like impossible. You know, yeah. I mean, I was expecting Tom Cruise to roll out the house <laughs> with the old, uh, you know, the troop. Yeah. Have seen him. We had the cameras too high. That's Ooh. true. That is true. Mm. Even though Wynn was filming, and she's around the same height, <laughs> you know, five foot. Like, still could have like, it, period. <laughs> when I saw that guy in so many movies, I was like, yo, this guy's like amazing, he's gigantic. And then I saw him like in an interview, and I was yeah, like, yeah. wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you why that is. Because at a theatre screen, which yeah. is usually massive, yeah, like yeah. at least 10 feet, you know, they're not to scale, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it, I think it's when you're seeing people on mint close ups a lot, you think their head's the same size as your house, don't you? Is what you're thinking. <laughs> 
especially on an IMAX. Mm, mm. And then when you see him in real life, first thing everyone says, man, you look smaller. Yeah, yeah. But that's usually, like, Godzilla's really only two foot tall. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like some, a little glove puppet. That's some camera work right there. That's, that's some, some crazy <laughs> stuff, isn't it? It's a hero <laughs> shot. It was actually just, just an iguana that they used. That's yeah. iguana. Yeah, yeah. 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 Called Rufus. Yeah. yeah. Rufus the iguana. Okay. So we're at Stratford. Uh, <laughs> And we were waiting for the crowds to disperse, which they did eventually. Uh, we had a nice little trip around. I was getting nostalgic with you guys. And we went to the uh, famous Dirty Duck, a.k.a. White Swan, mm-hmm. and sat in the Actors Bar, eh? Very nice pub. We did. Yeah. yeah. It's just a bar. Um, bar of metal. <laughs> and uh, the actors hold it there, don't they? Because <laughs> they're trying to raise the bar. Ah, is that, what what it, is that where the term comes from? Yeah, it's for? magical. Oh, it's a magical it. place where if you lift it up, yeah, you I think we going. need to bar you for making <laughs> <my friends. laughs> Yeah, but the actor smells really, good. It really does bring a new meaning to the phrase "getting barred." Mm. It does, I. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Moving on. So um, it was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was crazy to see how many pictures of like different actors and different celebrities and theatre actors as well that yep. have been through the pub and yep. uh, kindly signed pictures for the pub to actually uh, hang up on their walls. It was really cool to see. It was cool, man. Because it's the fallout for the RSC. A lot of the actors go there after a production or after a run and mm-hmm. just mingle and chat. It's been going for years and years. A very old institute. And it's a hotspot for some seriously big names. From the RSC, like Judy Dench mm-hmm. and uh, Patrick Stewart, I'd imagine, has mm-hmm. gone through there. Ian McKellen definitely has. Mm-hmm. But even people in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I think Johnny Depp's been there when mm-hmm. he was doing the um, Finding Neverland film yeah. nearby. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, that's, you know, it's good to take you guys there to yeah. sort of yeah, impress on actors. you. <laughs> yeah. As actors. In the actors' bar. So, that was how we started a date. Uh, Pete and I made friends. We did. Because uh, we uh, we made friends with a nice homeless guy that lives in the cemetery nearby uh, at the Trinity Church. Yeah. Well, you made the mistake of asking him uh, where he was from. I did, yeah. And he just he just pointed over us and said, uh, see that third headstone there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I sleep under that tree there. Yeah, I was expecting him to say I actually came back to life from that grave. <laughs> yeah. Um, which would have been better, um, but he didn't. Mm. But he was telling us stories about how he jumped in the river quite a lot, and I said yeah. he should have waited for the tourists to uh, go by in the little boats there. Uh, it went over his head. He was completely hammered out of his mind on beer, mm. but he loves the homeless life, so fair he play was, to yeah. John. Good yeah. shout-out. That's out. actually what he said, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and ho- hopefully one day, mm. if he ever stumbles upon a radio, he'll, he'll hear this. Mm. So thanks, John. Great little conversation. And you you guys in the Trinity Church doing something quite special for the show, eh? Yes, that's right. Yeah. We won't say, we can't say too much. You'll you'll hear us being coy, but if you know anything about Stratford-upon-Avon, not the uh, other Stratford in, in East End London, <laughs> but Stratford-upon-Avon, you'll know all about certain things that we're trying to be coy about. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we'll quickly move on from that mm-hmm. scene. We did go to that, like I said, we, we ended up going to the um, most famous spot in the town. We got our filming done eventually, and that's when we suddenly had downpouring rain, didn't we? Yep. And it was horrendous. It was literally like the beginning mm. of a horror film. Yeah, we did our best with it. I mean, you was trying to change that entire scene into a yeah. horror film for the longest time, and I was like, no, it's a comedy. Well, <laughs> it's a comedy. it was one of these things where, you know, in filming sense... I, I think this is the luxury of if you actually film in, in America or anywhere with decent weather. Yeah. You you complain over sun 
literally going from one position to the next position in a day. That's what you complain about. Oh, the light is changing. Yeah, the light's changing. <laughs> oh, it's suddenly a bit windy. Yeah. Oh, no, that's like 15,000 oh, people. Cloud. Yeah, yeah. 15,000 people have to set up. Absolutely nuts. <laughs> Here, you go from decent, a really nice day, which we had the yeah. day before filming. It was an amazing day. Really good weather, quite cool. Yeah. But then this was horrendous. This was the end of the world kind of stuff, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was. It was. We did, like I say, we did our best with it, but the rain just kept on coming yeah. down. And it's <laughs> at that one point where Wind's covering the camera with scarves yeah. and her jumper and, you know, as if it's a little chihuahua. And <laughs> basically, like, at that point, we're like, the camera's not working. Yeah, the camera so, decided yeah, to yeah. refuse to work so, in the weather. <laughs> just so you know, um, that's how glamorous it is uh, when you're filming on the sly in the UK. It's crazy, man. And testament to us, like, though, I was feeling a little bit ruined by it because my energy depleted quite quickly at that point because you're just thinking, this isn't turning out the way I envisioned it with, you know, with relatively uh, nice weather and such. It was so, quite stressful. It was very Creative, stressful, creatively. yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, because a lot of the things we had planned were in the open areas of Stratford and mm. blah, blah, blah. So we got quite a lot done. We got at least, I would say, probably about 80% of what was planned. Yes. We managed to get through. We did. To the point where it was just becoming a calamity for our camera. Yeah. We did have a little... Uh, studio base that we set up so we managed to finish off the stuff out there i'm excited for how it's actually going to end though because it's it's actually alleviated another idea that we had to place it in in a particularly joke setting which will be real fun for the people watching this is so vague it is super vague (laughs) one of the worst things about doing this show is like i want to say stuff and i'm like yeah i can't so well, guys, just to get you excited, we did a thing in a place. Yeah, involving people and stuff. And it was amazing. And the weather was bad. Um, and it, it was dark real quick. So, uh, well, I think typically in this episode, uh, the original story changed about three times due to weather, due to yeah. technology, due mm. to situation. But whatever you're going to see in the final product is going to be good. Yeah. Yeah, when you see the episode of a thing and it's dark and it's raining and it's night and it's day and it's, you know, you'll enjoy it. Once you can figure out which one it is from the episodes. (laughs) Yeah, we will be selling it particularly as the vague episode. Um, But one thing that I I thought was cool, because we had almost, in in a sense, a whole working week in Stratford at this point. So for Wynn, myself and Shaq, it was literally... The end of a, a four-day stint. Well, I'm going to add that originally we weren't even going to go to Stratford on yeah. that day. We had something else scheduled, yeah. but because that fell through, had to be postponed. Yeah. It was like a it was like a juggling act this particular week. Such mm. is the nature of film. Yeah. So all I can say, because I think this is fair, guys, to say this, mm. we were, and this is cryptic, <laughs> on the tail for the episode. Of a very famous writer. Weren't we? Weren't we? Everyone. Everyone. Yes. Oh, good. Look, silence. Thank you for selling this. We were on the tail of a very famous writer. Yes. Not his actual tail. Well, he might, we might have been. Well, you know, Could have been a very large tail yeah. um, that he wrote. There you go. And because of that, I want to segue in what this conversation will all be about from here on out. And that is loosely on the subject of novels or things you have read that are meaningful mm-hmm. to you. Take away menus. 
Exactly. <laughs> could be. Could be. Bar prices. Some of them are quite long, <laughs> yeah. and they do have a. And they have chapters. They do. Um, so yeah. Which, which pub you gone to? You've gone to. Basically, <laughs> if you're ever in a military camp, yeah, loads of chapters. The military. You know what I'm saying? There's a joke in there somewhere. But no, 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 there is. It, it's already been said to you. That's why Pete's shaking his head. You just have to know a lot about the military. Anyway, moving on. Lots of chapters. Which chapter are you from? Get it? No. Okay, good. Moving on. So frat houses that have chapters. They're, they're those two. Anyway, we're, we're losing our crowd here. So we're loosely, because we're talking about writers and the things uh, like this. Has anyone here read something recently or in the past that has, you know, significance to their life and i'm starting with shaq because he's the youngest and this will be interesting go on shaq don't feel on the spot <laughs> okay i mean studied at school or anything like this what meant uh, something to you in book world because you know i'm selling our episode here about writing and okay. such okay. and writers and reedy things okay. it has to be a book <laughs> It can be a book. It can be anything. Okay, okay. Anything so, that's um, in the written in the written word, mm. you know, language. Mm. <laughs> Should we come back to check? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 he's got it. He's got it. He's got his story. Go on, Shaq. I don't know if this counts or not, but one of the most well-written games that I've ever played has actually been. Yeah, there you go. This is the future, kids. Yes. I mean, writers can write games too, you know. It's, I know, yeah. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. There are writers writing games. There is a narrative in, in yeah, the, you know, game story. Yeah, writers writing games. That is, that's, <laughs> new, that's a new age tongue twister right there. Go on then. So, what um, was it? I don't know if anyone's heard of it here. No. But, um, no, but then, <laughs> <laughs> We'll move on then. <laughs> no, go on. Um, the Phoenix Wright series, uh, it's basically about an eccentric lawyer that takes on any, just about any case, no matter how dire it is. And um, he gets himself into really, really weird situations, but always like figures out the truth and makes it apparent in court. And it's really like wacky in that sort of way, but it's a fun storyline anyway. It's actually interesting. Is this Japanese? Yes. Yeah, yeah it's Japanese made. Because there's actually a trend in Japan right now where there's mm. a lot of these, um, I don't know if they're, I don't know how they call it. It's like novella games mm. they did one for psychopaths they did one for um things i can't pronounce yeah <laughs> um especially one on the horizon that i've actually played a demo of can't pronounce it at all mm. but basically one that's come out called blue reflection as well yeah yeah stuff along those lines mm. what what do you think the trend is on that because that's actually a growing thing it is yeah uh, me and my friends are talking about this it's uh it seems like it's basically manga but in a video game form yeah. and uh, the Japanese are going to love that and the Japanese have been loving that ever since the games such as uh, Steins Gate right. uh, basically the video game adaptation of those uh, uh, anime but um, less gameplay and more storyline and right. more like characterization. so like an interactive film almost. It, exactly right. exactly and then it's basically they'll give you like little decisions to make you actually feel like you're playing as the character. So um, you'll decide whether to yeah. talk to this Left person or go to this yeah. section. Yeah. You know, it's, it's classic. It's yeah. like really classic. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's a, there's a rise in this happening. Mm. And the reason I'm putting that out there is because it's a natural segue because you have red manga. Yeah, and that is a novel in graphic form. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So was there anything even in that vein that you can suggest? Because a lot of people out there who aren't into like games won't mm. have a clue. Mm. So we're just trying to get you back here. Segway. Yeah. Okay. So anything. Okay. Okay. The manga that I've probably read has 
probably all been really, really mainstream stuff like Naruto and that sort of thing. Um, sure. There hasn't really been anything that's like, that's been a real, like, had influence, a real impact. Yeah, 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 had a real yeah. influence on my, on my life at all. Um, I got a, a box of a Harry Potter books oh, when okay. I was younger. Mm-hmm. When I, um, my godfather gave them to me for my birthday, um, I got a box of those and I actually read through quite a lot of those and... I I actually really enjoyed it. So to be honest, a book that I've really there enjoyed. There you go, be the Harry right Potter series. There, there you go. You actually awoke off a memory. Yeah, in my yeah that's good. That's why I'm having this. This is like a digital book club. Yeah. So you've done good. <laughs> this is how we have to work the new generation, guys. You have to go through all the avenues here. Go on. What do you want to say, Win? Uh, something that Shaq mentioned um, about like the relationship between games and books, like yeah. how one influences the other. It just yeah. made me think when we were in HMV the other day, we saw a graphic novel of um, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. TV series. Sure. So basically, obviously the series was influenced by the novels, but suddenly the series has become... Yeah, This is Sherlock. Sherlock. I'm just putting yeah. it out there. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sherlock, the graphic novel based yeah. on the... Yeah. It, it, well, it's, it's fascinating because actually it's not... And, something I want to bring back to Shaq's point is something that's not just exclusive in that interpretation is also the fact that Warhammer uh, 40k has Mm -hmm. a really well respected series of novels and Mm -hmm. this is board game video game territory that's expanded into book and that's always been a thing in my lifetime with the the, the fantasy genre it's always been this crazy wide Mm -hmm. spread because Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff then that at the time was just way beyond anyone's uh, imagination. It sounds stupid, but mm. it's like before that you'd have all of these things where you type your own adventure. Yeah, and it's yeah. a little bit like we were talking about with the live manga. Yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. the evolution. Mm. And it's kind of weird to me that it's come back full circle. But mm. back in the day, it'd be like, go left, press Al or right. And you had yeah. these acorns at school, mm. which were like a pre-Apple oh, I remember those, thing. Yeah. And basically like... The imagination really was, you didn't apply it as much. Like, I think Zelda changed the, the genre in fantasy games because it was top-down, as yeah. stupid as that. There was loads of little things, details of attention, that made it more immersive. Yeah. Even if you're cutting grass for 50 years outside. <laughs> it was so much fun. Yeah, yeah, it was just something different, and that was yeah. the power of Nintendo. But mm-hmm. before that... We had, and you're seeing it again now in TV series like Stranger Things, where they have built the entire fiction around this. Mm. The Advanced Dungeons & Dragons stuff that we had as kids. I never had this, but I was privy to it. A lot of my friends would do this. And in the fantasy genre in books, going back to books, they did a lot of these things called game books, where mm. it was like um, you had different chapters in a book linked off to pages mm. and if you made a decision you'd flip the pages oh, to get yeah. to different things yeah, this that, yeah. is this was like the precursor yeah to where we're talking in video games it's mm. the precursor to that you'd have dice as well that you would die sorry that you would roll for hits and things like this yeah. so it's like the book form yeah. of advanced dungeons and dragons which yeah. is a long way of setting this up <laughs> but that's basically what we had yeah and it's interesting because I think when you are first getting into books, especially for guys, less so for girls, but not exclusively guys, mm. fantasy is pretty much what you fall into from a young age in yeah. your teenage years. Yeah, doesn't matter from walks of life, you know, mm. wherever you are, it's, it tends to be your first point. Yeah. 
And you see, like you, you kind of think to yourself, "Oh, the world is boring." Let's see what somebody else thinks of like their world. And yeah. We'll see well, I mean, it's it's ever since Tolkien, yeah. which is before all of us, even me. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> um, but basically, like the Harry Potter revolution is Tolkien of now, in my eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's basically that immersive. It's become that bigger thing. You you could argue, Pete, that when you went to Florida, it would have been Tolkien world. Yeah. If you'd have gone in the 60s and they had the budget and the resources that we have today. But oh, it's Harry Potter now, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's Rowling's world. So it's interesting. So you did you read at least half of those books? Because there's quite a few. There is quite a few, yeah. Um, when I got them, I think it was the Half-Blood Prince that was the last right, one. Right, So um, it was kind of like a bu- uh, box set, but yeah. it was just that um, Half-Blood Prince. Uh, I got through Philosopher's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, and I think... Half of the third one, but I can't. Azkaban. Azkaban, yeah, and about half of the um, third one as well. And then I started watching the movies and then. <laughs> oh, no. oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's You're missing uh, out. I think it's, it's fun because I'm going to segue to Pete in a minute, but what's fun about this is the fact that you've got. Um, I, f- I feel like, and I'm only focusing on you at the moment, Shat, because you've lived in a, in a different generation. So it's, it's kind of interesting to get what you are saying from this mm. because to me i feel like you're actually advertising a lot of things that are happening in the world especially in in the video game industry which is trying to incorporate more of an education in yeah. the written world yeah, and you, there are people trying mm. to make books a sort of next generational thing yeah if that makes sense mm. and i think it's fun to say that you're in an era where you can state well, I had the books, but when I watched the movies, I, I, I let the movies tell me the story. Of course, yeah. it's not the same. Pete's yeah. going to go there in a minute. I'm sure he will. <laughs> but it's interesting because when we were kids, we didn't have that same yeah. impact. Yeah. You know, if we'd have had Lord of Rings in the 80s, it wouldn't have looked like, you know, mm-hmm. Peter Jackson's world. Yeah. No. And everyone would have been like, oh, that's obviously a glove puppet and a guy dressed as a tree yeah. in the background. Yeah. Wouldn't have been the same thing. So it's cool that you can... I think films are doing their best to get as mm. close as they can to materials, but you have like a book which is a fleshed out world, which will take you a month or so to read, depending on your, you know, how fast you read. Yeah. If it's Win, mm. a, a 24 hour period, because she <laughs> eats books in her mind. Um, but basically, yeah, like I just find it fascinating to start with you. So thanks mm. for sharing that. Is there anything you studied at school? Can you remember, like for English or anything? Um, yes, of mice and men. There you go. We read through the entirety of that, and that was actually a great book. Yeah, so that that sang out to you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What did you like about that? Um, It was just, I'm not going to remember the characters' names now, but their relationship, because... um, You can be as coy as we were (laughs) setting up the episode. (laughs) There was this guy and this this thing happened, right? So it's Lenny and... The other guy from Motorhead. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, Lenny, isn't it? Yeah. Lenny, Lenny and... I can't remember the other guy. Yeah, I'll be able to remember him. But, um, yeah, it was their relationship, uh, the fact that where they were travelling to, um, where they ended up and how they were working together mm. and um, how he basically guided this man throughout all the way through his life until something detrimental right. happened. So, you so you studied that and that stayed with you, yeah. which is yeah, pretty much predominant. Did you get through any Shakespeare at the time? Mm, no... No, wait, we probably did, but I just can't remember, can't remember it. <laughs> Studied it and gone. 
They've got the graphic novels now, mate. Mm. You're, you're well in now. Mm. And the text really speak ones. Yeah, yeah. Or the audio books. <laughs> yeah. Which is like going to watch the plays, yeah. basically. Yeah. And just one audio bit as well. Yeah, and sure. Just backtrack, backtrack into when you said that uh, games kind of like uh, do their best now to sort of Evolutionary, yeah. Yeah. Um, in The Witcher, there's actually yeah. something really cool because they've got the book Witcher and they've got the uh, yeah. game Witcher. That's well. true. The, yeah. the game is based on a it's novel. On you book, should have yeah. started with that. should have started with that. That's your entry point. It's a Polish, very famous. Famous Polish novel, yeah, yeah. yeah series. Mm-hmm. Probably as famous to half of Europe as uh, Game of Thrones has become yeah. to the rest of the world. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. But then um, there was a section in that game where there was like a side quest, and it was a massive side quest mm-hmm. where you go to plenty of different places in the world, but you had no idea what you were actually doing. Like, you had no idea why you were talking to these people or why you were uh, doing these uh, quests, but the main character knew and the only way you figured any of that out is if you read a section in the yeah. book so it actually says yeah. at the end there's something like, oh. book exclusive yeah yeah. it's actually a very important thing because the witcher takes loosely mm. the same template that Bioware mm. put mm. into their games be it Mass Effect and Jade Empire and things like this yeah. um, Dragon Age and all of this where there's a lot of lore mm. in the context of the game itself you're reading books in the mm. game yeah um, it's of course not a full novel, mm. but it's it's interesting to see. That's what I'm saying, and it, it's always a good starting point in fantasy. Mm. Yeah. Doesn't matter if it's sci-fi or if it's rural fantasy, like elves mm. and wizards and stuff like that. It's always quite a natural starting point yeah. to get people interested in in reading. So why is mm. a lot of teenage books written mm. in that genre as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's cool. Yeah, and at the end of the um, quest, at the end of it, there was like a, a book for the Witcher in the game. And it said, oh, this is the reason why all of this happened. If you want to know more about it, get the book. there's the book. Yeah, it's and a cross promotion. Yeah. To read the book. Cross promotion. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a tactic. And, and the guys that do The Witcher are very good at that tactic. They're very uh, true to the uh, context of the stories mm-hmm. as well. But that's given me my segue. I can move now yeah. onwards to, uh, to Pete. Because you will actually link to this because you're actually someone who's reading all the uh, Fire and Ice novels yeah. now. Again. Again. A, How many times have you gone through them? Uh, probably three or four, which, considering the size of them, yeah, um, I, I, I read a lot. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll go with the same questions, influences, and you know, from over recently, or even when you were studying text. Well, I, I reading, and um, I think the first one that I remember doing at school um, that I, I really loved was actually Year Six, mm-hmm. and we did um, Good Night, Mister Tom. Mm-hmm. If that means anything to you. It does. Um, story of like um, a kid who's uh, during the war, he's yep. evacuated yep. Um, from the, from his abusive mother. I believe it was made into a uh, miniseries. It, it, yeah, it was um, about an hour and a half um, show on, uh, on BBC, I think. Yep. Yep. It's an incredible book. Um, even, even as an adult, it's worth a read. You know, it's it's not a kid's book. Yeah. Um, but I remember doing that, and that, that was the first one that really, really stuck with me. Because, um, you know, I read all like the Famous Five, Secret Seven, all the Evie Blight and stuff. Yeah, this is now <laughs> my generation talking. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So this was, exactly. it was quite interesting because around that era, we were pushed a lot of these things, be it World War Two. there was a mm. lot of stuff. Roald Dahl had his, uh, which was uh, Going Solo and Boy, was mm. his World War Two wrap-up. But there was a lot of stuff. One thing that always came to mind in that ilk was the railway uh, railway, railway children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's my teeth in that setting, which is not about kids at New Street. No. No, <laughs> no it's not, no. Um, 
<laughs> Nothing to do with the city centre. <laughs> it's not about building Grand Central either, no. Because no, um, okay, okay. the, the children lost their homes in the mm. extension of Grand Central and New Street. No, it wasn't that. <laughs> um, no, this is like, there was a big post-World War II flavour. Yeah. And this is mm. kind of like lingering from the 70s. Mm. So in our books, we went from sort of like these safe, almost classics that had become classic um, into like different territory and it sort of expanded. Um, was there anything else like that you can imagine like that was outside of that genre because that was it's an interesting genre to be a part of mm-hmm. well um, Emperor and Son was another one that was fairly similar yeah which um, became Christian setting. Bale it film, did indeed his yeah. first movie yeah. Um, yeah as a very young actor yeah yeah um, about but... Shaq's age yeah 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 <laughs> three no, I'm joking <laughs> I'm joking <laughs> at, least, we, uh, at least five we also did have Mice and Men which is fantastic that's kind of cool because we uh, um, just remind me who wrote that of mice and men. Winnetou. Um, she's an art. She's basically uh, all literature knowledge. John Steinbeck. Steinbeck. Right, so is that's it cool. is it US? Uh, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. that's what that's that's interesting to me because I thought it was a US novel. I didn't want to shout that out there, mm-hmm. but we were never. Um, I think the first time I ever myself studied a US writer's work. Was um, in in theatre studies, which was uh, the Crucible, and he he. Um, no, in school in GCSEs, it was mm. it was strictly UK only mm. when I was around because it was it was that era where it was the old seventies structure moving towards the eighties yeah. in our curriculum, and then we were in the nineties as well. But it was still that tag along. I think we were very locked into what we could or couldn't read. It had to be British, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, mm. which was a bit of a cop-out. But when we got into, um, when I started doing A-levels, it was all Tennessee Williams and things like yeah. this started to come into it. But uh, Mice and Men always eluded us. I know of it, of course. What were, what was the thing you liked about that when you're studying that? Uh, pretty much the same as Shaq, to be honest. It's, it, it's that relationship, which without ruining the end of the book for anybody who hasn't read it, yeah. um, just completely falls at the end right is it suitable for the age that you're studying like is it aimed oh, yeah, at that I mean, audience um, is what i'm saying or is it because like if it's aimed at the audience because we did it we did it for gcse so yeah 15, so, 16 but it is it, it's an adult book it's adult right, themes right um it's um, quite tragic yeah it is yeah um but def- definitely worth a read mm. it's, it's one of it's well. it's the one that's on the list isn't it of mm. the uh social medias you must read these things before you die yeah, kind yeah. of job yeah. Well, so there's a reason for that. one of those that um, to my girlfriend being an English literature PhD yeah. student yep, yep, yep. has tried to drag me out of uh, what she calls the rubbish I read. <laughs> uh, the pulp. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a Dan Brown fan and James Patterson and all that. Yeah. So she decided to give me 1984. Oh, yeah. How'd you get on with that? It's one of the worst books I've ever read. Well, for what reason? No, this is good. This is the juice, man. Because in the book world, this is controversy. Yeah. So go, shoot. Well, no, I think I think the reason it's so big is the themes that it deals with. Yeah. Where the book itself, it's boring. What, what, what makes it boring for you? Because this is insiders. Nothing happens. I think, when you'll know this as well, won't you? Mm. Or are you a fan of it? Um, I can probably explain why it's good. <laughs> but that's that's like no. yeah this is this is the difference between uh what i would segue as normal people and yeah. literature students yeah because yeah. we believe in our own personal tastes right so i'm not saying we as and we're a collective and you're you're being overpowered <laughs> i was a literature student myself but it was almost like 
um, it's something actually studying English literature used to wind me up because, and I just want to help you out here before you segue into <laughs> into the, the narrative point. Kills me. Yeah, <laughs> but it's for me. It's a case where if you take a lot of the classics, and all of these will be listed on the list. We all studied them at some point, except for Shaq because his new age. Mm. God bless you. <laughs> um, but if you take like Jane Austen, or you take um, mm. Charles Dickens, or you take um, who who wrote uh, Martin George Orwell? Yeah. But anyway, you take these guys uh, as a classic uh, thing. W- what you find in literature is these are blueprints. It's like Mary Shelley with Frankenstein and stuff like this. It's a lot of firsts. For yeah, generation. it's pretty much like I mean, before uh, 1984, right? You didn't have really anything that ilk. You had War of the Worlds as well, well similar time. What 1984 really established was the idea of uh, surveillance and Big Brother. Yeah, yeah. and and dystopia right. in a technological way. Like I said, the, the ideas are interesting. <clears throat> well, it's, it's almost a segue for Philip K. Dick. It's almost yeah. the Blade Runner universe, but very um, tweed jacket. Mm. It's almost if Blade Runner was done in the same way Inception was done. So if you if you had the kind of Blade Runner sci-fi spec, but it was all nice arcane libraries and very 70s architecture, and you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's that kind of... But it, it's funny because you take these books at these times and they're considered classics. And I was just segueing in here because I knew that when will turn around, she's going to start telling you all of the... Like Jess would, really. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had this conversation. Yeah, of yeah. course, and <laughs> and that's correct. It's it's correct what you're saying because it's a one-off. If you, I mm. think there's a lot of imagination with literature, especially classic, where you have to go back and see why it was revolutionary for that time. Oh, no, I, fully, I fully understand. Yeah, yeah. No, we do, but we've and yeah. this is our argument or my mm. argument. Things have moved on, so the imagination has that blueprint, and now it's fleshed it out. It's mm-hmm. all technical. It's almost like you can say in film. The classics, the black and whites, the silent movies, or you say Nosferatu, something like this, the greatest vampire film of all time because it was the first. Yeah. It's not. There's been better since, yeah. in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Because the, the idea is that we, we go from a blueprint and it inspires us and it's the next level. For example, you wouldn't have Black Sabbath if you didn't have blues. Yeah. So it's the same thing in, in novel term to me. And would you agree with that? Yeah. yeah. So making my case... <laughs> Just to defend the uh, the saps in the centre. Yeah. Yay! Woo! Saps. <laughs> We're like pulp and proper, you know, popular garbage. So going to you, please, Win, articulate the well, great can, things about my I can agree Apple. with what you're saying in terms of certain books uh, don't have a relevance today. Oh, they all have a relevance. I'm going to correct you. They all have a relevance, okay. but it's a blueprint. Sure. And some people just stop at a blueprint and say it can never be better than that because that's the first interpretation. Therefore, it's a blueprint. Well, for me, that was I couldn't get through War of the Worlds because it was just... I couldn't. It was boring for me. Yeah. Like, I, I don't usually, you know, stop halfway through books. I is that is that I set read. like Dracula in chapters with different opinions? No, it's a narrative. No, it's a narrative, okay. but it's a very slow narrative, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not really into that genre anyway. So it was hard. But the thing is, with 1984 and some and things like um, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, which has just been dramatized on Channel Four, yeah, it is set in a dystopian world, so it is very insular. So when you have a character where they know they're being watched all the time mm-hmm. and you have one perspective, you don't have an outside, you don't have a third person perspective, then it becomes very um, claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. 
And the language in 1984 and The Handmaid's Tale has to reflect that kind of closed perspective. Basically, the style of the language reflects the themes and the story. And if you can't get into that character's head, then obviously you can't get into the story. Mm. And as I'm guessing that, you know, Pete, you're uh, reading the story going, what's going to happen next in terms of action, where in the story, in this particular kind of story, it's not about the action, but about the language style. Yeah, it is, yeah. And how you can immerse yourself within the language. So if you're not a language person, that's probably not a book for you. Yeah, (laughs) stick with Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Where you have action, 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 (laughs) description... But um, if you have something like, uh, if we're talking, say, modernist, uh, Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf, mm. no one outside of the literature world will probably touch that kind of stuff because it's written in what we call stream of consciousness. Mm. So it's written in like one big paragraph. The whole book is like one paragraph. And mm. it's just how someone's thinking inside their head. Oh, I'm making a cup of tea. Oh, and suddenly I'm thinking about like what happened last Saturday. Mm. And it's a style <laughs> in that language. Yeah. Which, again, it's kind of like modern art. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the points I'm making is slightly more sort of round. You're being very direct in a sense. I'm going round the topic, but what you're saying about Virginia Woolf is not unlike actually how Terry Pratchett writes mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, internal monologues, conversation, and am I thinking out loud kind of a deal. Yeah. Um, but going through that because that's a lot of stuff there to deal with. <laughs> so one that you liked with established that one that you didn't like we've established yeah. that what's something that's really inspired you in reading so as a as a book um there's a couple that um i didn't really want to read or get into until um i was all but forced right um, one, was, <laughs> one was harry potter's um, yeah it never appealed to me until i got bought the first one for christmas sat down read that on christmas day and went out and bought the next three mm. right because they're absolutely incredible um, and the other one was the um, the name of the series escapes me now. It's the uh, the subtle knife uh, and the Amber spyglass. Right. If you know those, they um, they tried to do um, a Hollywood film, The Golden Compass. Oh um, right, yeah. Um, you said that, and I go yeah. straight to film knowledge. Yeah, it's got sure. it's got a different name in the UK. Yeah. Um, but that got that's a, is that is that a British um, novel series? Uh, no, I think they're American as well. American as well. Um, we just we just yeah we have a different name, name it over here. Interesting. Um, but they're, um, I mean, they're, they're around kind of your, your teenage audience. Yeah, it's, to me, that's like, um, it's almost a modernised version of something like Narnia, to me, Golden Compass. It always came off like that to me. Kind of. It's, it, it's got some incredible themes behind it, kind of, yeah. um, when you get later into it and you realise that there's actually, you know, a war between heaven. Oh, um, right. Between different factions. Right. Um, and that, there's people on earth that are joining in and um, trying to, you know, make it go their way and kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So cool. That's, uh, you've, you've made me think a lot. I, I literally, the minute you said golden compass, I just see the film, mm. which is like Daniel Craig, isn't it? And it is, yeah. yeah, it's actually, um, it's being dramatized by the BBC. Oh, is it? Um, I hope, um, I think, you know, we're talking like a whole series per book. Right. You know, kind of 10 episodes. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Which is um, how they did Narnia way okay. back when I was a kid. Yes, they did. Yeah. <laughs> They did. Um, I they think did the original yeah, yeah. Ones, yeah. They did a BBC uh, drama. Mm-hmm. Only took them like twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> since the book was but uh, made. But that's technology. And then the films came out. I never saw the Narnia films. Uh, the films were actually pretty good. 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's one of those stupid things where you reserve the, you know, the books meant a lot, um, mm-hmm. especially when we were kids in, in primary school when I was a kid. They meant yeah, a I lot. I can't watch the films. Yeah, they meant a lot. Oh, and then the, the BBC series really brought that out because mm. there was a special. I mean, this is the power of that time. I think it was the uh, the Telegraph, I feel. They did like um, this thing uh, every Sunday for the um, for kids. It was very interactive, but sold the BBC series. It's like a mm. tie-in. And that was amazing. It was a really interactive thing that they did. And then when you're around that area, anyway, because Lord of Rings and uh, yeah. Lion, Witch and Wardrobe were written in Oxford. Um, well, not in Oxford, but <laughs> during the stint at Oxford. And that's they, they you, you just know this area and those stories. Mm-hmm. So everyone can have a memory. It almost feels like you're living the story because it's literally what you're living almost. Yeah. And um, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. So... That's why the film's an appeal, because when you go suddenly brash and bold and bright and crazy, you lose that appeal. I feel it becomes less insular and more mm-hmm. open, you know? Well, when I was a kid, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was one of my favorite books. Yeah. And when you're reading it, you have that, you know, that world in your own imagination. Yeah. So once you see the film, you're like, that's, that's not, not, that's not yeah. how it's supposed to be. Well, that's, that's yeah. and I think that's the thing oh, yeah. about the yeah. BBC series is because it was so focused on that book. I think they, mm-hmm. they did cover the others yeah but my attention only did the the book i knew which yeah. is the line which wardrobe and it was interesting man because again it could have been the time or the era but it's kind of closer to context and i just remember when we were watching that it was all so believable to us that it was like literally i'm gonna sound really weird but it was the same feeling um, many years later that I got uh, Led Zeppelin have this DVD. This is so <laughs> random tangent. They have this uh, DVD uh, that they did in the 70s, which is like a live gig interjecting with a load of short films that piece together that tells you the story of the songs. Mm. And one of my friends at the time said, come and watch this. And what we'll do is we'll just chuck in a bunch of candles, throw the lights off and just watch it and just let it take you somewhere. And it was like, you know, um, Stairway to Heaven, all of this stuff. And I did this nice sort of uh, kind of gothic medieval castle thing. Not unlike Monty Python without the comedy. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it was it was of that era, the 70s. And I feel like The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe had that shared vibe. It's something you feel rather than something you can explain. Yeah. And at that time, when the kids' show came out, it was still snowing every year at Christmas. And it was around that time we had that on TV for the first time ever. And I remember it really vividly. So it was very much an impact. The book was an impact. Ago, wasn't it? I think. I've, I've the, the BBC show, I, I believe, I, I, don't quote me, but it was either 86 or it was a little after. But it was definitely the 80s. I'm thinking of a different one then. And it's classic. It's still contextually yeah, yeah. classic because you can still find it in you know everyone is raving it's like labyrinth david bowie mm. film and things like this it's very much classic yeah. and everyone knows it's a blueprint um but basically moving from that because that was a huge segue sorry about <laughs> that guys but i just think it's important because you're saying something that is really it's good that you're bringing it up so the golden compass to me is like the it's got to be a generational gap version of narnia was for us i suppose yeah you know? yeah anyway 
this is the bit that Wynn's been most excited about, Shaq, because now I put the spotlight on Wynn. Okay. This is where it goes into a three-hour margin. <laughs> so, Wynn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Wynn, let's start with you. What, what do you think is the most influential thing in a popular term of a novel that you've read? And what do you think in a studying term? Um, well, as a kid, I grew up with Roald Dahl, so... Did you? Mm-hmm. Well, was when was Roald Dahl in Hong Kong? No, his books are in Hong Kong. <laughs> oh, I see. I, I was taking it literally. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyway, yeah, so Matilda. Mm-hmm. Matilda, The Witches, loved yep. it. We actually did uh, James the Giant Peach when I was in uh, year two, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was the centipede, and I had to remember those two massive epic poems that he does yeah <laughs> yeah it's always great fun when you're seven years old <laughs> that's that's a good interpretation because in our school we would have done two lines of it and have been something like i like you you're nice and that would have been that <laughs> um anyway so which which particular role doll is matilda still mm-hmm. the one at the top yeah absolutely mm. that because you relate yeah. or maybe she relates to the telepathic <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. of course yeah yeah the- the books without the superpowers. Right, right, right. Yeah. Or the books that have the superpowers. Yeah. What? He was only in the film. My whole no, life no, is no, a no, lie. No, no, no. She, no. she has superpowers, but I meant I identified with the books, oh, not the superpowers. Not the superpowers. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Cool. I have a story on a roll doll front. There is one that he did uh, called uh, George's Marvelous Medicine. <laughs> yes. And it, yeah, it was one of the ones that like, and it has been skipped. It's kind of a weird yeah. skip because it was one of the most popular ones, I think. But that as a book, um, my dad used to read that to us as kids and used to do all the voices. And it, it was just so funny what he did. It was almost like an audio book before audio books. <laughs> and um, that, that's just classic. Because Roald Dahl was always one of these guys that had that. And it's actually funny, because um, I'll say something to Shaq, uh, that launches it to modern times. There's a narrative in Roald Dahl that's very, very much a trend in, in animation and manga mm. in Japan these mm. days, mm. which is a clear rift between the adults and the kids. Mm. The adults are often seen as these completely needless, useless, yeah. horrible, bitter, yeah. depressing yeah. elements. <laughs> yeah. And the kid's always the beaten down, yeah. you know, shunned, lives in a cupboard, everyone hates them <laughs> thing. And, and it's almost funny to me. And yeah. it's possibly just how world trends seem to be. Mm. But that is a focus, and a, a clear focus in Asia right now. Not mm. just in novel, but in the world, you yeah. know, yeah. in life. You know. Talking about Asia, uh, in terms of uh, Chinese stories, yeah, which yeah, is important. Which is important. Yeah, Journey to the West absolutely is a big influence on my life. Which is why he came to England, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> she took it too literally. She did, yeah. But I think it's a very. Uh, this is cool, man, because this is where you start getting a bit more um, interpretation for both uh, Shaq and Pete. It's like we always uh, globally can look at our authors as world conquerors in Europe. Yeah. Because everyone in every education around the world is looking at them, you know? Mm. Um, you wouldn't find a school in the world that doesn't know about Jacqueline Hyde. You wouldn't, mm-hmm. or, you know, Tale of Two Cities or mm. even any Shakespeare stuff. Or yeah, They're all sick of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's really interesting is that China, around the same time as Shakespeare, had some of its biggest and most classic texts, be it one being Journey to the West. That's right. And what's really fun about that, it's like a renaissance that happened in China that no one here knows about. It's funny because it's principally been made 
and rebooted and made and rebooted and many different guises not only in in china but japan korea whatever it's a very powerful story in all of asia possibly even india might have nodded to it mm-hmm. at some point mm-hmm. but it's basically a true story and this is how chinese text takes over from what we know in our classics which yeah. are usually total fiction mm-hmm. placed in true places right but here you've got a true story that if I read, it's like a, a press release. So if I'm working at a tabloid, I get a sentence. Monk goes west to Nepal or Tibet to find the scriptures. That's the story, <laughs> right? And how this guy did a romance, and this is the thing about Chinese romance, like the classic fictions, they'll take a, a reality and then they'll flesh it out with romance, you see. And in this period of time, how do I make that story snap? Because it really happened. And it must have been a fantastic journey because literally it'd be like watching Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman doing a long way around, <laughs> but of that time. Because most people hadn't even stepped out of China or even their town or city. So as an actual piece, it would have been fascinating to read the actual story because that's what happened. You had to go from the temple in China to go to get the text. Now, how they fleshed that out is... They made it a story between demons, accidents, like natural disasters. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking earthquakes, typhoons, and this stuff. I'm talking the Monkey King that happened in the middle of it. And then the Monkey King becomes the focus of the story, and we've all heard the Monkey King. But what we haven't heard is there is actually a journey to the West, and the character of the monk is a real character. Mm -hmm. So this is a fun thing about Chinese novels. We are starting to have these ideas here, and we do not know... That they're that old. They are same age as, as Shakespeare, you know, 400 plus years. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. So what was most appealing apart from, a rebe- again, I'm seeing a lot of things about your, your inspiration here. Rebellious main character, <laughs> okay, that's completely nuts and has superpowers. But that's not the focus. <laughs> that's not the focus. Now, that's one, not thing, one thing I will tell <laughs> you about Journey to West, because I've read the translation. Now, Winner will have read, you've read the actual Chinese uh, well, novel. Well, we, we, had, um, we had everything. We had the comics. comics. Yeah. We had, I, uh, I had... Um, kids books yeah so the oh the abri- yeah and we had tv series of yeah books. of course mm-hmm. well like, like i said remade yep. a billion yep. trillion times since the 50s mm-hmm. so i mean yeah since tv first came out um but basically <laughs> like what's been fascinating like when you actually have the book and we found the translated it's a trilogy so it's like harry potter only not and the thing that's fascinating, <laughs> the thing that's fascinating about this this series is how it's written. So, because it's translated from Chinese to English and Chinese to so anyone in China listening, J- Japanese and Chinese, Korea is probably the same too. It's very metaphorical language. So, the way they've translated it is you actually get poem form. Mm. So you'll see the character and what the character is surveying, and it'll be as a poem, mm. like rhyming. Then you'll actually get the context of the story after that. Then it'll go back into a poem. And it's one of the hardest things to read. Really is, truly. If you read the Chinese one, that you could literally be a scholar of Chinese language afterwards. But this is what I'm saying. It's such an incredible piece to go in narrative. And there's something around that time, which was the Romance of the Three Kingdoms as well, that came out which is something that I read quite a lot as a kid growing up as well. But it, it again, it has that kind of poetry to natural chapters. It's really quite complex to read this stuff. 
but the the story itself it's better kind of translate i feel to television when you mm. say yes because it is such a hard thing to read it's very distracting it's almost like if you have that voice over voice that you have when you read you know and you, you're seeing the narrative then you get the dialogue and the, the form is this it's almost like at every stop when you're getting into something it becomes this huge poetic description of the world that you're in and it's really intense to kind of chug your way through that well very true to asian narrative it's basically an epic story and mm. so in each epic you have different chapters mm -hmm. and uh generations as we we mentioned in a previous podcast in the uh, anime yeah yeah mm. um and so you can literally say oh in the story of journey to the west i'm just going to pick out this story oh the story of the bone demon well, and that's a story and, self encapsulated but you're story. actually this is something i'll say is set up to pete as well because we'll move on from that to more recent stuff but the other thing that you've got to think about is all these stories have actually been stripped. You'll take a chapter, boom, and it's still fleshed out. It could be mm. like a folk story of right and wrong and karma. Even just one <laughs> segment of Journey to the West can be that. And that was Cantonese or Mandarin opera. So take something out and drop the story down, very famous part of it, be it the uh, bit where the Monkey King's on the hand of Buddha or something like this, and they'll represent that on stage in classic opera. Mm. For and it was usually a, a hidden political message behind it mm. because back in the day it was satire, yeah. so it was like our equivalent of Friday night, you know, parody TV shows and British TV, mm. you know, political, you know, slagging off political stuff. Have yeah. I got news? For Have you? I got news for you? So, like <laughs> yeah. this, that's what Cantonese opera began as using yeah. these texts, you see, mm. it's quite amazing story. So won't bore them with that, but honestly, Dragon Ball came from that, mm. just to set that up and then obviously expanded. But what is your, in modern terms, what would your be? To Kill a Mockingbird, which was, which I did the Modern win, version. modern. It is. Not, not in our lifetime, it isn't. Anyway, I'm joking. I'm it, is, it, is, it is to a literature student. It is, yeah. I've found this out yeah, from, yeah, the, yeah. from the girlfriend. Yeah, it's only, it's only a million years old. Anyway, yeah, to sorry. To Kill a, a Mockingbird is a novel, yeah. but we actually, I, I did the play version for my GCSE exam. Yeah. So I have a close connection to the story. Do you? I've had cocktails named after it. Just kill a mockingbird. Yeah, kill a mockingbird. So what? What? What is it about that particularly that um, inspires you? Because that's really the word here, not just what you like, but inspires. Um, I think because one of the main themes is uh, equality and justice and standing up against you know what's what you believe is wrong mm. as a minority, mm. and that really rings true, especially in modern times. Mm. I yeah. Think. Well, I think that this is one reason that classic text can have a dual pers uh, sort of uh, perspective or even purpose in today's world is that one side of it, you can look at all of these old situations and things that we were dealing with way back in the day. Like I, I mentioned The Crucible earlier, which is Arthur Miller, and that's a play, again, that has made it to be mm -hmm. a movie and has made it to be whatever. I think there's probably novelized versions of it somewhere. But politically, it's as strong as one of your favorite films, which is 12 Angry Men. Yes. And it's literally telling you about the, the way that um, hype in court and things like this can defer judgment. Mm. And when you think of The Crucible or even 12 Angry Men, and then you think of modern day life court cases, the biggest one that I can think of being OJ and the trial mm. of OJ Simpson. Mm. Yeah. Man, you're almost walking fiction to fact yes. in both of those, you know, mm. cases. 
in the crucible is almost a case where the reverse happened for OJ to get to arguably get him off the hook. And I'm talking the Netflix series as well, which has just come out, um, which is sort of the trial from the perspective of everyone in OJ's camp. Mm. It's an amazing thing, that series. I think uh, anything, any kind of book or story that does last the test of time has universal themes and yeah. it has... Well, it's, it's um, as I said, it's a blueprint. Yeah. And certain blueprints in it certain genres... It stands for something that mm. everyone kind of feels, yeah, yeah. I, could, yeah. I, could, I, could, I could root for that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's a certain blueprint in a certain genre that's mm-hmm. basically weirdly acting out in life mm-hmm. at some points, but at the same time, we're all scared of 1984 happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how many references do you have in today's modern world of Big Brother's happening because yeah. there's CCTV everywhere or mm-hmm. something like this? It's funny, isn't it? There's always a reference point, but it's almost like it's also in uh, fiction. It also fleshes out the thoughts. So it's like, here's the blueprint, and no one was thinking this. So if I interpret that kind of classic text now, as I'm reading it with a more sort of um, structured mind for creation in today's world, it's mm-hmm. like, what can I do with that now? That's what people are missing from the original mm-hmm. context. And it's funny because you had literature um, studies segue into theatre studies, segue into film studies. Now film studies, in my mind, is the new literature studies. So you're looking at things like Alien, Mm -hmm. uh, the um, Ridley Scott Alien setup, and you're doing the uh, topics of how does mother and child play into the trilogy, okay, and and the evolution of it, which is, again, an essay that you would probably associate with something from literature many years before. And that's the evolution. We're now... And this is why Shaq's a product of the evolution, because we're now <laughs> in the audiovisual world. Yeah. It's quite fascinating. Well, what's know? really uh, important, I think, is that when we have adaptations on stage or on screen, that people do, as you said, see the blueprint, because then you have something yeah. to compare it to and yeah. see how yeah. it is relevant. Well, I think that's why I think it's funny, because between you and Pete, you made the argument for. Mm-hmm. On Pete's side of it, he's in more agreement with me. It's like, I get that it's a classic blueprint, and you can't strip that away. Yeah, it is yeah. always that. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. And for me, but, uh, someone who loves language yeah, yeah. can see how the language is built. Yeah, the, the context of the language. I mean, that's slightly, that's a whole different debate to yeah. me, but it's almost like you've got uh, something in, in novel terms. If, if you think of it as a fiction piece, you've got a thought that was never thought before at that period, which is why it's... Today, we have all these things flying around. New York Times bestselling novel. I mean, that's thrown around to anything. That could be a, a biographical account. Or it could be, you know, um, a review of a decent whatever. Or it, could, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, there was impact novels that changed the world. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that anymore. Mm-hmm. So even Harry Potter, in my argument, is not an impact novel. It's just a reinterpretation of a classic that was set up by Tolkien and many other minds like Tolkien that came up with the fantasy genre. You can argue that point because in my generation, we had a series of books. I never read them. They were aimed at teenage girls. I I knew of the TV series because it was quite popular and they definitely made a movie with Tim Curry in it called The Worst Witch. And to me, Harry Potter is the worst witch of this generation. That's all it is. And that's not slagging off JK Rowling (laughs) because it's incredibly well put together (laughs) 
but it literally is just another turn in that chapter called fantasy, right? Mm. There's, there's very few new ideas. Exactly, that's Even, the point. Mm. Very, that's the point. And I, on the games is Lord of the Flies read. Yeah, and I think, and this is really integral because it actually then, and this is such a cool little conversation. Everyone that's listened to this, hope you're enjoying too. But it's <laughs> something that actually brings Spotlight back to Shaq and the relevance of Shaq's generation is this. The most kind of original text that we are finding in this day and age are in the audio and visual world. Mm-hmm. They're also in <clears throat> comics, graphic mm-hmm. novels. So even in uh, our generation, the three old people sitting <laughs> to the left, um, we had things like V for Vendetta, if you remember. Yeah. Now, as a classic text, and it is now as a novelization, be it graphic novel, it's literally one of the only of its kind. Mm. Very interesting piece. Again, if you'd had actually written that, in a classical text, we would have had possibly a classic novel on mm-hmm. our hands because it's a retelling of the Guy Fawkes mythology mm-hmm. in a dystopian world. Yes. But again, can that happen without 1984? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So these are the greatest things about books and the fact that we're chugging off to a full circle. And also I'm seeing in the three of you a psychological breakdown of what inspires you. Wynne went from rebellious, crazy kid that sees <laughs> a, a, a paradox between her and a, a family and the older generations, and she often had this vision of being an adventurer, right? Then that turns into a world change, and you've got this mature level understanding of the issues of the world and things like this. So, yeah, I can actually strip you. This is great for psychologists. <laughs> We're now bringing in the psychology argument. <laughs> Pete, I feel, is amicable. You see, Pete's tasting, because you do read everything, like especially current. You mention a lot of famous names um, in, in modern day writers. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because you'll nod back to the classics. You won't identify with them, nor should you. I think that's point to say, because it's hard to, you know. Yeah. And, and in context, it's like, it's funny because that makes you amicable. I don't think there is any sort of thing that made you go, oh, I'm going to be a cowboy or I'm going to be an Indian when you're a kid. You just wanted to take, take part. Do you see what yeah. I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So that's kind of interesting. Shaq, <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it weren't going to no, be to be, to be fair, I think what, you, what I'm seeing in your side is the modern take, which is more about the personal relatability to the context. Everyone's yeah. after their own private adventure. Yeah. They're not after talking about it. So yeah. it's almost mm-hmm. like, you want to have a book club talking about these adapted yeah. uh, anime video games. Mm-hmm. There wouldn't be a club where you're sat in a cafe going, oh, no, I think the prowess of this character is... He likes a personal experience. Yeah, yeah it's, it's that entrapped, it's for me and no one else, yeah. you know, and it's important yeah. in a sense yeah. because that's the evolution of oh, all okay. of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Is anyone going to ask me? Uh, nah. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so moving on, no one cares about that. You, you, you can read. Uh, I can. I, I personally can. The character I play, no. No. Um, <laughs> but it's one of these big things. No, for me, because um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little different. I had a very specific genre that I was always into. So I've already talked about a martial arts side of narrative, Journey to the West, uh, Three Kingdoms, etc. That was almost part of um, philosophy training. So that was separate. I'll put that to one side. At school, one of the biggest things that I ended up doing uh, in theatre myself was Macbeth for me Mm. as a story narrative. That to me was, in all of Shakespeare's multitude of different things and bobs and pieces, it stands out clearly as as something completely different off kilter. It's almost a precursor to me for horror. Yeah. You know? 
um, which has been dabbled with a few times before that, but that to me was one of the first true horror stories, especially written as a play. So that was always something I loved horror when I was a kid. Mm. Loved being freaked out by novels. It's hard to do. I, I actually grew up, one of the first things I ever read was Stephen King stuff. Carrie was the first book by Stephen King I'd, I'd read. And to me, not so much a horror thing. A, a lot of people think it is. To me, it's more psychological thriller. If that, it's tragedy. Macbeth's kind of that. You can you can play it any way you want it, you know. Mm. But then The Crucible I mentioned, mostly because, again, it's about, <laughs> you'll see this, uh, witch trials mm. in Salem. Mm. So, again, that curbs the horror thing. And that was a very clever story because you have this suggestion of a metaphysical presence, a bit like the Blair Witch Project tried to do. But it's a very real situation, very political situation. Your imagination trips quite a lot in The Crucible. And the way it's written is structured of what do I believe? Do I believe there's a legitimate line where this is happening or not? Mm. And that then spread, and I'm surprised no one here has mentioned this. I know you wouldn't know about this necessarily, Shaq, but Anne Rice, who Mm. wrote The Vampire Chronicles. I haven't actually read the book. Um, We see... My favourite film. Yeah, yeah. This series, and it's important because I've never read any book in a series except for one, which is the one I own, which is The Vampire Lestat, which is Mm -hmm. technically the sequel of Interview of the Vampire, but happens to kind of... Is that the one they placed Queen of the Damned on? Queen... No, no, no. No, Queen of... Is that another book? Okay, so... Well, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. The, the, in film terms, I agree. Queen of the Damned as a film didn't really know what it wanted to be no. either. It was like one big music video. Yeah, but, yeah, but basically the book curbs... It's, so the Anne Rice novels are set and written kind of like in Gothic classical mm-hmm. text. But they, they, they deal with like Renaissance epic. So you're not getting just a story about vampires. You're getting their entire biography of the character it centralizes. So... From the stats start to where he goes off to, that then chain links to the next character. It's very clever. Interview the vampire is curbing into the stats story, which is a prequel and a sequel mm. at the same time. It. And then Queen of the Damned happens after the stats journey because yeah. he opens that story through his story. And then it's Armand who's in a character in both. Yeah. And it's very clever that the story itself. It's like reading one of these classic novels we talk about for content. And as a blueprint, she really, I feel like Anne Rice interpreted the genre literally again, you know, like it never had happened before. And it was a reinterpretation that was absolutely amazing. If you get chance to read The Vampire Chronicles, it's... In particular, The Vampire Lestat. I was very surprised because I thought it would be quite heavy in terms of genre and language, but it was very easily digestible and such depth as well. It's 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 like yeah, it's like a it's like a gothic romance, Mm -hmm. very true to the 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 time of gothic romance. That's how it's written, but it also covers stuff and it's very much um, it provokes you as a reader because it's provoking like all of the things that you're morally correct and assuming is wrong be it topics and this is real loose so don't think this is basically but incest or um the concept of these things it really throws them out there in a way that's very questionable because these characters aren't human anymore Mm -hmm. so it's almost like well different rules apply to us you know but there is it's it's so powerful that you can't 
it's one of these few books, and this is quite modern, really. This isn't that long ago they were written, but to me, it's one of the few books of our current era that really gives you that memory and that blueprint to work off. There's no way you would have had Twilight without Anne Rice. There's no way you would have had um, The Vampire Diaries, which came out recently, without Anne Rice. It's, mm-hmm. She's that powerful, yeah. and it's that reinterpretation. So there is that... I could go on and on about the fantasy <laughs> books that I read... Because I was massive into that. But, you know, it's cool because at the end of all of this, I think the the point is about novels and, and the structure of it, especially when we're talking experiences. I'm unique in a sense because I can sort of nod back to Wynne's literature knowledge somewhat. I totally understand where Pete's coming from because we're at a similar stride, you know, scholastically. And then with, with Shaq, obviously, I totally understand that because I was part of the evolution mm. of when things changed and became yeah. what they are. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're one, kind of just as obsessed with gaming as I am. It's well, yeah, I mean, like in a different way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's interesting, man, because I never considered that about myself, but I've, I've lived it. I've yeah. always appreciated the medium. When you're a visual mind, mm-hmm. when you're helped, it's almost like uh, you could call it a, a handicap in a way, but when you see something that looks real, it actually is quite mind-blowing from mm-hmm. where we've gone to where we are now. Yeah. Yeah. And in novel terms, it's the same. Mm-hmm. The context of we're in a unique place right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the future in, in, in novels is sort of going through the audiovisual, uh, be it the fact that you've got Kindles, you've got uh, your audiobooks yeah. that are, are happening more and more, the TV series that are happening that are so close these days to context mm-hmm. and video games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah. exactly. Anything anyone wants to add before we wrap the show up? Last topics? No? Thank you, book club. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> we might do another one. If people uh, come in and tell us what you think, because obviously this is just uh, talking about crazy stuff, but if you did like this and you want to join in, please ask questions. Uh, I'm done, you're done. Mm-hmm. You yep. done? Yeah. So it's over to win for the wrap-up. Don't forget to find us on facebook.com forward slash demon M-A-I-L-D-E-M-O-N, and find us on Twitter. Our handle is Project F-I-A. Project F-I-A.